0: Lord, thank you that it's not just a cry for help, it is your promise to us. Lord, thank you that in the deep darkness that we can walk through in this life, yes, there are wonderful moments, and then there are those moments where there are fears that we don't even know how to express to anyone around us. Lord, thank you that we can look to you in those moments, that we can, we can realize the nearness of the light of the world. Lord, I pray even now as we turn our attention to Daniel chapter 8, that you would continue to illuminate our hearts, to illuminate our minds, that we might see as you see. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, as you're seated, I'm going to change things up in our schedule a little bit, so just a heads up, we're going to have a testimony at the end of the service, and then a couple of other things, so Aaron, hang with me, buddy. Turn to Daniel chapter 8, because I don't want to lose something that I think coming out of worship is important for us to follow up with. Is it okay if we just do that? Is it okay if we just change things up a little bit? I think this is something the Lord has for us today. Uh, please pray with us as Shane and his family are currently away at Gulf Coast Community Church in Brandon. I do want to acknowledge that. I want to let you know where he's at. And uh, last week we announced that he is in the process of exploring whether or not God has called him to be the lead pastor there. And so we continue to pray with him. And and so he and his family are there this week in order to uh, be able to get some time there with their elders and continue to explore this process. But Let's keep him in our prayers as we read here in Daniel chapter 8. In the 3rd year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the 1st. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the providence of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was in the Ula- Ulai canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No, no beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat from the west across the face of the whole earth, without touching the ground, and the goat had a cons- Conspicuous, conspicuous horn between its eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was none who could rescue The ram from his power. And the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great, even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the hosts, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. And a host will be Excuse me. And then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to the one who spoke, "For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and hosts to be trampled underfoot?" And he said to me, "For 2300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state." Let's just stop there this morning. Daniel 8 is, is describing another difficult vision that Daniel experienced. And I say vision because it, it actually says that it's a vision. A vision appeared to me in verse 1. He's not dreaming this time. He's, he's kind of in this place where he's been transported 200 miles away. He's at the citadel. I think it's 200 miles to the east of Babylon, if I remember correctly from the maps, looking at it earlier this week. And so he's been, he's been kind of in this state where he is seeing something that is hundreds of miles away from where he is, and he sees something that troubles him. Now, it troubles Daniel, and if you read this on, it, on the surface, it may trouble you as well. It may be something that is difficult to understand, but I, I want to just make a connection here real quick. First thing, out of the gate this morning. How often do we look at our circumstances and they trouble us? How often do we look at our calendars, our finances, our family, our relationships, our our job? Insert your circumstances here and they trouble us. They all of a sudden become something that's overwhelming to us. As we continue to read today, we're going to actually see a quite clear interpretation that Gabriel gives to Daniel. And we're going to see his response to that. But I just want to start at the outset, as we were singing in that song, that the deepest darkness that we'll walk through, abide with me. And perhaps, like Daniel, you find yourself in the midst of troubling things ahead. Now, I want to be careful here because I'm going way off notes, and our team already knows that. But here's what Daniel's seeing. Daniel is seeing something beyond the earthly conflict of nations warring against nation. Daniel is seeing beyond that into the ultimate conflict that all of us experience in human conflicts. That is man in prideful rebellion against the God who rules and reigns. That's what Daniel is seeing. And you may think, well, what does the God who rules and reigns have to do with my circumstances that seem like the deep darkness? He rules and reigns over those as well. And I don't want us to miss that connection even as we go into Daniel and as we see these things that that can be disturbing on the surface. Let me give you an example. When you're talking about two rams that are coming together, right? Perhaps you've seen this on on Animal Planet or on on, uh, one of the planet documentaries, right? Those rams butting heads against one another. Now, in, in Daniel, it's a ram and a goat. But you realize that is actually something that is quite violent. The sound Of those two animals coming together somewhere between 35 and 40 miles an hour, the sound of those two things will ring out across the valley for up to two miles. That's not a small impact. I think it's 800 pounds per inch of force that they bring together. Talk about being hard-headed. Talk about being obstinate. I mean, that's literally what those horns were created for except for this. Daniel reveals in the vision that one of those horns is broken. One of those horns is broken. Imagine what it took to break that. Imagine what it took to come against that. And so we realize that Daniel's vision is not recorded for us to kind of spur our curiosity. He certainly wants to engage our imaginations, but he's not recording this to spur our curiosity where we just try to look into these like deep and hidden wonders, but he's actually wanting to provide comfort and encouragement for those who may be troubled. And you may think, how does he do that? It It doesn't seem to make sense even on the surface. Well, as we continue to read today, we'll realize that There are kingdoms that are represented in these animals. And this is similar to last Sunday in Daniel chapter 7. They are not all exactly the same kingdoms. They are not all exactly the same rulers. Verses 1 through 4 speak of Medo-Persia. And it goes on to reveal two other kingdoms. There's Greece with Alexander the Great. And then there's Antiochus the 4th. And, and Daniel's having this vision of these rams colliding. But a clarification is in order there. With this, when this little horn comes out, out of the midst of all this turmoil, out of the midst of all of this impact, out of the midst of all of this kind of rage against one another of these nations, that's not the same little horn as last week, I don't believe. I think actually what it reveals is that it's Antiochus Epiphanes, and he serves as a type of Antichrist. And you may think in the midst of these, these uh, passages, you know they, they speak explicitly of the Antichrist, and yet you're not really addressing that. That's true, because I don't think the Antichrist is the point of these passages. I think Christ is the point of these passages. I think God and his sovereignty is the point of these passages. But let's talk a little bit about the little horns. Individuals and nations, none of them can come against our God. But a lot of them are going to try. Let's just be clear about that. I'm not looking for an individual. I'm not looking for a nation to try to label as, quote, unquote, the Antichrist. It sells a lot of books. But I don't think it's helpful for troubled believers. I don't think it's helpful for a healthy church. I don't think it's helpful for spiritual maturity to try to be focused on the individuals and remove our vision from the God of glory. But he's there. Yeah. Not for us to focus on. He's there as a defeated foe. He's there as a defeated foe. Why would I focus on the defeated? Why would I focus on the one who has been conquered? Life does that to us enough. What's the similarity between the two horns? Attitudes? and their actions against the people of God, the way that they treat the people of God, the way that they defile God himself. That's what's similar about the two. But I'm not going to focus on them today. I do want to just point out that the one who kind of comes out as what I believe is the little horn in this particular passage in Daniel chapter 8, that's Antiochus IV, he actually gave himself the title of God manifest. Talk about Arrogance. And not only did he do that, he put it on the coins. So in the midst of this oppression with the Jewish people in the kingdom that he was ruling, he he said he not only declared himself to be God-manifest, but he put it on every coin, almost in the same way that we do as a nation where we say, in God we trust. He put it on there that God manifests, so that every time people went to do a transaction with one another, what are they doing? It's like they're paying homage to one another of God-manifest in Antiochus. This guy was messed up. This guy was cruel not only to the people but he was twisted in his ways he was twisting the truths now in daniel in that last half of daniel we are looking at old testament apocalyptic prophecies and for daniel as the one who is writing these things they represent future events but for us reading them today they represent an aspect of our history And we worship the God who is the God of history. But looking at it in a way that says, well, Daniel's looking forward and we're looking backward, that doesn't rob these of their power at all for us today as believers. It doesn't rob any meaning from us. So it's not like we look at this and just go, yeah, yeah, that was back then. What do I need to focus on that for today? Where does that have any power for us today? What difference can that make in my life today? I mean, we've already seen kings in Babylon that have been replaced throughout the book of Daniel Alexander the Great he fell after partying too much doesn't sound like a very great way to die Antiochus the killed himself when people turned against him because he swam out into the sea to get around him he drowned himself we know the tales of Napoleon Bonaparte we know the tales of Germany early in the 20th century but let me just play that one out a little bit for you I think history is uh, I think Hitler in the midst of history is the easy one to focus on but what if we think about his generals? What if we think about his generals almost in the same way that we do all these other horns that kind of rose up? Between 19 at the beginning of 1945 if you said the name Adolf Hitler it struck fear in your heart. By the end of that year he was dead. By the beginning of the next year they had already started the Nuremberg trials. By the end of that year, those trials would be over and all of his generals would be executed. Not only executed, but they would be cremated, all of their ashes heaped in together and then spread across the river so that nobody could come and pay homage to any one of them as an individual. There wouldn't be any place to do that. Within two years, not only was Hitler, but his entire war cabinet were gone. So it may strike fear in the hearts of people for a day, but it doesn't remain. I was born into the age of the Cold War era. It spanned for something like 40 years, kind of coming out of World War II. I was born at kind of the height of that in the late 70s and into the 80s. And I was listening to something this week, and they actually mentioned that after Ronald Reagan's famous speech where he tells Mr. Gorbachev to tear down this wall... It actually took 10 years for that to go into full effect. So history has this funny way of showing us how quickly things can change and how much time it takes for things to change at the same time. Have you ever experienced that in life? I have. Sometimes it happens in, a, in an instant, and other times it takes a great deal of time to play out. What's the, what's the consistent thing amongst all of those things? There is a God who is sovereign over all of it. There is a God who is sovereign over all of it. Perhaps this helps us even today as we think about leaders around the world today. Perhaps it informs how we pray for them. Perhaps it informs how we talk about them. Perhaps it informs how we listen and read about them. But perhaps it challenges us to consider something else. Not living for them. Not living for them. If this were TikTok or a reel, I'd probably say here something like, I don't want them to live rent-free in my head, right? And yet how often do they? How often are are leaders in the world the dominant aspect of conversation? How often are the people out there that that are are against us? How, How often is the bank? How often is the insurance? How often is insert your circumstance here? How often is that what dominates the conversation at our table? How often is it the boss or the troubled one that rises to a place of prominence? that we act as if God is not sovereign over them as well. So where's the challenge for us? Where does this bring comfort to us? Where does this ask something of us as believers in Jesus Christ? I think it asks this. Make sure you're living for an eternal kingdom. Make sure you're living for an eternal kingdom, not a kingdom that's just going to turn over, whether it's within two years, whether it's over a decade, whether it's over hundreds of years. Make sure that you are living for an eternal kingdom. What do I mean by that? This week we were going away. We went to celebrate the life of a godly man. And it was an honor to be in Kentucky with Stephanie and her family to be there. Brother Byron was how he was known to most folks I've been interacting with this week. In our house, he was known as Papaw. And we were there to celebrate his life. And as we were getting ready to go, I realized I don't think I've ever packed in a way that somehow I'm not still hurried at the end of packing. Have you ever had that experience? Has anybody ever had a calm trip to the airport? Okay, good, me either. I am in good company this morning. I feel so much better about that. I think we've all experienced that, right? I mean, as it's, it's hard as you try the night before, I was like, okay, all I have left, they just get my shaving bag together, good to go, awesome. And then somehow everything interrupts that last shower that I'm going to take before we head to the airport. And then it's like the scramble where you're just trying to just make sure you got everything. Yes, that's how much product it takes for me to look like this. You're welcome. <laughs> you're just grabbing in a scramble, and it's funny when you think about a trip to the airport, especially if you make your flight consistency, consistently. What my concern is is that many of us are treating the Christian life like that. Well, we're trying to cram at the last minute. Yeah, I know I need to have that. I know that God's calling me to change in this area. I, I know that he says to spend time in his word. I, I know that he's sovereign, and, and I know that I'm supposed to trust in that. And what we do is we wait until the moment of urgency comes to try to live something out as if it's been there all along. And the book of Daniel's been telling us all along, you can't live that way. And he's calling us to something different. He's calling us to prepare for eternity now. He's calling us to prepare for eternity now. I don't want to bring that kind of mentality into my faith. I don't want to bring that kind of mentality into my finances, my marriage, my family. I don't want to have just a just-in-time faith. I want to live out my faith before others. But perhaps you, like me, can focus on the items that you're packing You can focus on that wayward child, that spouse that's struggling. Stephanie's not struggling. It's not an announcement. More often than not, that's what she has to do for me. Perhaps you're focused on where your finances aren't, where your job isn't. Starting to, starting to land a little bit here? Deep darkness. Perhaps it's on the fear that one of your children will be drafted. And you'll never get to share again. What do we do in the midst of that moment? We don't want to lose sight of the eternal trading it for the temporary. But the temporary things, they are just so... Front and center in our lives. See, today we're, we're wrestling with this question, how do we remain faithful and receive comfort in the face of all sorts of trials? And I think that what Daniel 8 helps us to understand is it's by remembering that our God is sovereign over all things. God is sovereign over all things. And this is where the sovereignty of God is something more than just a theological concept. It is a reality for the believer that allows us to walk in his goodness. It allows us to walk in his goodness. So, let's continue to read in Daniel chapter 8. Verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. I bet. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man... And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me to stand up. And he said, behold, I will make known to you... What shall be at the latter end of the indignation? For it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between its eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which were four others, four kingdoms shall rise out of, from this nation. But not with his power. And at a latter end of their kingdom when transgressors have reached their limit a king of bold face who understands riddles shall arise his power shall be great but not by his own power and he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand And in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. See, Daniel and his people are still in captivity. What these visions are revealing is that even after they're out from under this captivity, that there is more and more tragic captivity to come. What Daniel is seeing is the future for the people of God, not one of flourishing momentarily, but one of persecution. But let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves. We, we actually kind of start like Daniel does where we don't necessarily understand sometimes the things of God. We don't necessarily understand the things of God. We need divine assistance and so here's where we're going to start to make some of these things very practical for us moving forward now it would be cool to have a divine interpreter available to us all the time like a gabriel on demand right gabriel make this known to this man gabriel i don't get this right but we have a divine one with us better than gabriel See, I've been struck with the thought this week, as we read Scripture, if we do so simply in the form of a, of a task or some kind of, like, duty that we are under, that, that is something that we just have to do, like a reading assignment, we may read through the Bible in any given amount of time, but we need something else when reading Scripture. Now, before I get myself in trouble, Scripture alone is our authority as followers of Jesus Christ. That scripture tells us we need another. That divine authority tells us we need a divine one. And 1 Corinthians tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And here's my concern. There are times that we talk about being conformed into the image of Christ. And the vision that we may have in our head is that if we, are, is this, we are just kind of this stone that are being chiseled out to be a statue. And I think that's certainly part of it. There are things in our life that need to go away but we are also being formed from the inside out. We are much more like a 3D mold, not a 3D print. We're like a 3D mold where there is this intricate inside work that is also happening at the same time. It is displacing the things of the world that they might come out of us. As we are formed on the outside, so are we formed on the inside. And this divine word tells us that the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit is there for us to understand. Just consider some of these passages with me. Psalm 119, verse 18, this prayer. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. 1 Corinthians 2, 12-14. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual the natural person does not accept the things of god for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned john 14:26 but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i have said to you that doesn't sound like an outside influence that sounds like something that is coming from the inside of us as we're in his word the Holy Spirit opens our minds to understand his word. Ephesians 6, 11 and 17 say this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is a part of that armor of God. Hebrews four twelve says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, to joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in our lives. What's so important about the Word of God? What's so important about the Word of God that we would want the Holy Spirit to be a part of our reading of Scripture? Well, this is not an exhaustive list, but God's Word shows us how to live. It shows us how to thrive. We see this in Joshua 1.8. God's Word helps us to resist sin. Psalm 119 goes on to say that. God's word brings us to a place of wholeness. It heals us, Proverbs chapter 4 reveals. It equips us to do good, as we're told in 2 Timothy 3. But more importantly, God's word prepares us for the days ahead. God's word prepares us for the days ahead. Early in this series, I challenged us not to try to be like Daniel. I don't know about you. I don't need that kind of pressure in my life. I dared us not to try to be like Daniel. I dared us to believe in Daniel's God. And Daniel chapter 8 challenges us to do the same. See, as we read the interpretation, we realize understanding this vision is not actually overly difficult. Sure, there are a lot of historical and cool details that we can drop into, but understanding the broad brushstrokes of what's going on in this vision are not overly difficult. Accepting it is. Living the reality of its interpretation can be difficult. See, Gabriel explains that the ram with the two horns is the Median and Persian empires. It says that the is Greece were able to discern the direction of the empires and the campaigns. Even the specific details of their evil, the length of their occupation. All of these types of things. But God speaks to his people through his word, 2 Timothy tells us. And as his people, we have this as a gift, an abiding word from the heart of God himself for us, that we may be formed into the image of his son. Our responsibility in the midst of that is to listen to it, to obey it, submit to it as the words of our king, our sovereign. See, what what Daniel saw in the midst of this vision, what he dreamed in the interpretation actually wiped him out because he had given a lifetime. I think at the time of Daniel chapter 8's writing, he was somewhere around 70 years old. He's toward the end of his life. The handwriting on the wall historically hasn't actually happened yet, if I I have the timeline correct. This is why I said last week we're going to kind of bounce around the history of the book of Daniel a little bit. So it gives us some perspective on what's going on. Daniel has given his life to being a faithful follower of God in the midst of this foreign land. And what is he told? My people are going to be oppressed over and over and over again. And it wipes him out. It it lays him up. The New International Version says, I was worn out, I lay exhausted for several days. Now I love Stephanie's family, but that's kinda how I feel after this last week. Life ever hit you with those days? I was worn out. I'm laid up for several days. I need to recover. In the world, what do we say? I need to go back to work so I can get some rest for my vacation. What was it that brought him comfort in the midst of that being laid up? The reality that God was in control. The reality that God was in control and that his kingdom would eventually come. Daniel's sickness passed because God's grace was sufficient. Look look at it again. Daniel chapter eight verse twenty seven. I Daniel was overcome and lay sick for some days. This is the ESV that I'm reading from. Then I rose and went about the king's business, lowercase k. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. What are the things that lay you up in life? I'm not talking about yard work. I'm not talking about some big output or anything like that. I'm talking about the things that just spiritually knock you off your rocker. What are the things that lay you up or that kind of set you off for a number of days where you just feel like you are disconnected from the things of God and even the things of the world, you're just walking around numb? Daniel actually provides an example for us here. It's one of those rare moments where I want to point to him as an example and say, look, look what happened in the midst of this. He still went on being a faithful witness, even in the king's house. That's challenging to say because I don't know your circumstances right now. In the same way that unless I share it on a Sunday morning, you don't necessarily know mine either. But what is the example that Daniel sets for us? Daniel sets an example of he is overwhelmed by the things of God. He has a heart for the people of God. He's given his life for this. And he's overwhelmed at the thought that they will be and harmed for generations to come. Kingdoms to come that he doesn't even know of. But it's the grace of God that allows him to go and continue to be faithful in the house of his earthly king. What is it today that has kind of knocked you out of whack? It has knocked you off of your game, so to speak, when it comes to What God's called you to. Even just having communion with God himself. The grace of God is still sufficient for you as well. You don't have to remain laid up. There's all kinds of analogies we can use here, right? You don't have to bench yourself. You can get back in the game. You're in the frame of the picture. I mean, there's all these types of things that we can say, but I hope what you hear is my heart to say... I want to acknowledge the hurt and the pain. I want to acknowledge the circumstances. I want to acknowledge the God who is over all of that. And I want to acknowledge that his faithfulness and his grace is still available to you. That you can walk in a way that is faithful. In a way that is pleasing. Or as the New Testament says, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. We can walk in that way. Sinclair Ferguson says it well. He returned to the duties to which God had called him. He did not retire from the world in view of the evil days that were coming, nor did he go to the opposite extreme and live on a high visionary excitement. Instead, he did his duty. Daniel's attitude illustrates an important biblical principle. In view of what the future holds, we must, holy, we must live holy lives now. He caught a glimpse of the realities that would take place centuries later. Those events were shadows of the last conflict between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdoms of the world. One day, Christ will return, and the Antichrist shall be broken without human hands, just as Antiochus was. We know this from the New Testament. How then should we live? Passage after passage gives the same answer do the king's business, walk in obedience. Live in holiness. Purify yourself as he is pure. Daniel didn't let this vision that greatly disturbed him paralyze him. He did his job and he trusted in God. And in this, Daniel serves as an example to us. Faithfully serving even in the midst of trying circumstances. I can't think of a better example of God working his redemptive purposes through adversity and pain like the cross of Jesus Christ. See, there's two places here where Daniel begins to, to build kind of a part A and B of an analogy that he's drawing out to the cross of Christ. If you look with me, we actually see it back in Daniel chapter 8, verse 11, where it says, it became great, even as great as the prince of the hosts even as great as the prince of the hosts, And he's attacked by this evil king, as the verses around it tell us. See, Jesus was attacked much more severely than this kingdom was. When Jesus was born, Herod tried to kill him, we're told in Matthew 2.13. The devil tempted him three different times, we're told in Matthew chapter 4. The people of his own town of Nazareth tried to hurl him off of a cliff, it says in Luke 4. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death, we're told in Luke 22. Pilate had Jesus flogged and then handed him over to be crucified, we're told in Matthew chapter 27. The Roman soldiers mocked Jesus and they spat on him. They struck him on the head with a reed and they crucified him, we're told in Matthew chapter 27. We have a Savior who is acquainted with troubling times. So what's the B part of the analogy? What, 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 what is it that kind of fills out the analogy? We'll look at Daniel chapter 8, 25. It says this, By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. In his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. See, this evil king is going to rise up, but the prince of princes is going to strike him back down. Now, this prediction was certainly fulfilled when Antiochus was destroyed, but it will find its final fulfillment in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Paul writes about this, actually. He says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will destroy with the breath of his mouth, not by human hands. With the breath of his mouth, annihilating him by the manifestation of his coming. Now, I don't know about you. I I can get pictures in my mind. So it's cool to think about two rams butting heads, but I want to see this day. Just with the breath of his mouth, annihilation. Annihilation of of the one who tells you lies about your own identity. annihilation of the enemy of your soul, annihilation of the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, annihilation of the one who stands against your family, the one who stands against your friendships, the one who stands against your marriage or your children, the one who stands in opposition to your faith. With just a word at the manifestation of his coming, annihilated. What a day. What a day of victory that will be. But I want to caution us as a church. See, there's an interesting phrase in the midst of Daniel chapter 8, 25. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper. It's an interesting word in the original Hebrew. I'm not going to get into it fully. It's only used three other times in Scripture. And what it talks about is somebody who is shrewd with truth to twist it for their own gain. This is where social media would be an easy dunk and then just done, right? Call the band out, don't be on social media, Christ be magnified. That's not reality. It's something we should be aware of, but it's not reality. See, unfortunately in the church, there are voices even in Christian media that do this. Can I just acknowledge I'm growing increasingly concerned with the business models behind churches? Can we be wise to the schemes of the enemy? To the schemes that would seek to rob the power of the cross or add to something for the gospel, for gain? See, we're warned about them. Can we be warned about the choices that we make even in media? Can we be warned about the choices that we make when it comes to things like music and other things where they, be, they become these influential voices? Can we be warned about even the news sources that we get information from? I don't tend to be on social media broadly. Twitter is probably the tool that I use most these days. There's this whole section of Twitter that I'm becoming increasingly frustrated with, kind of this Theo bros, this theological uh, brotherhood. I don't know what they're up to, but it's not good. It's not building a church. It's not leading a church. It's not bringing people to spiritual health or maturity. It's not bringing anybody to unity. You know what that looks like? That looks like something we should stay away from. That looks like something we should stay away from. So let's be mindful not to let Christian resources be our authoritative guide and take the place of God's Word. As a matter of fact, I'd actually invite you into this. Don't take my word for it either. Do your own homework. Acts tells us about the Bereans who are encouraged. Do your own work. And then let's talk about it. I'm happy to answer questions. But I don't want to get in endless and mindless debates. But I do want to warn us as a church, I think that this is increasing right now. I don't think it's very healthy. And so by God's grace, let us draw a line around the truth contained within these 66 books for our benefit. All right. I love what David Helms says to comfort and equip us today. I know that this is like a very short notice for the band. Thanks for hanging with me. The final word. The final word over your life and mine, for those who are in Christ, the final word is not had by the ram or the goat. The final word is had by the Lamb of God. And that's good news for us today. May it comfort your soul in receiving. Father God, I pray that your word would be what comes through most clearly today. Where my words may have gotten in the way,